0: This is Matt Mattern, Unite and Heal America on KBC 790. And my guests today are Joel Slatin and Greg Wendt. Uh, welcome, gentlemen, to the show.
1: Thank you. It's great to be with you.
0: Thank you very much. Joel, uh, I wanted to start with you and if you could tell us a little bit about your background in regenerative agriculture.
1: So our family came here to the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia in 1961. I was just, I was just four years old, and uh, dad was an accountant. Mom was a school teacher, and we had, uh, we, we, we had lost a farm in Venezuela, uh, South America. Dad had been there 12 years, mom 10. We lost it in a, in a junta, in a, in a coup thing, um, lost everything, and got back to the U.S., And um, dad was still wanting to go back when things settled down after the junta, but uh, that never happened. But that's why we settled in the Shenandoah Valley was to be within a day's drive of DC so that we could get back to the embassy and get there if things settled down. So we settled here on this farm. It was a a gullied rock pile, arguably the armpit of the uh, community and set about to try to heal, uh, heal this land. And, um, so, of course, dad sought counsel from experts and they all said, you know, plant corn, build silos, borrow more money, put in a feedlot, uh, use chemicals, buy fertilizers. And my grandfather, his dad, had been a charter subscriber to Rodale's Organic Gardening and Farming magazine in like 1948 and always had a great big compost pile and a big, you know, organic garden and everything. And so dad Dad had that, you know, that, that worldview from him. And uh, dad said, no, this is, you know, the chemical approach is not right. And so we set about trying to figure out how do you, how do you heal uh, the way nature heals? And so we kind of saw some, some templates in nature, some patterns. We began using them with, you know, uh, um, moving animals around using perennials, uh, you know, composting, carbon economy, all those kinds of things. And today uh, we employ about 25 of us on the farm and, um, we service about 8,000, uh, families. We ship nationwide. We service, I don't know what, 40 restaurants. Um, we, we didn't aspire to that. It just, uh, developed with, with great product. And, uh, and arguably we went from the kind of the armpit of the community into, you know, an extremely, um, abundant, productive place. So the beauty, the, the the great part of the story is land, uh, soil can be built, land can be healed, scarcity can turn to abundance. Uh, that is a fact. And I've been able to, to embrace that and participate in it in my life.
0: So uh, how have you uh, kind of uh, spread this message to other people? And, and how have you seen this uh, spread throughout the United States? And how can we encourage uh, greater support by the government to uh, support farmers that are doing the type of farming that, uh, that you're doing?
1: Yeah. uh, Thanks for the question. I think, I mean, well, I I mean, I've written 15 books. I speak well before COVID I spoke all over the world. I haven't been, haven't been off the U S now for a couple of years uh, and and may never, you know, may never leave. But uh, anyway, the, the point is that I've certainly, uh, you know, done a lot in whatever, evangelizing for this, for this thing, but you have to realize, even though I've spoken to, you know, thousands and thousands of people, uh, the orthodoxy has control of millions of people. And, um, and, and so it's a when people say, "Well, you know, why why don't we just you know move forward with this?" and obviously it works, it's beautiful, it's abundant, it, it heals, builds soil. Why don't we just move forward with it? Well, the answer is that if if this became widely embraced, it would invert the entire power, position, prestige, and profits of the entire food and farming and fiber sector, and that's a really big ship to turn around. It just uh, it's just a big aircraft carrier.
0: So when you say the fiber sector, uh, what are you referring to? Cotton and things like that?
1: Yeah. And wool and, and lumber, uh, forestry.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, so all of these industries are affected by big ag and, uh, and the use of chemicals to, uh, to farm our land. And, and of course they get uh, huge amounts of government subsidies because all the, uh, government uh, programs pay people to to use um that type of fertilizer and uh, pesticides to to grow their crops correct
1: yes um you know if you want to talk about collusion <laughs> that's a that's a true collusion story and and so what we've got now is a a kind of an unholy alliance a, a, a an incestuous relationship between the between the 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 regulatory and the and the government the government agencies, and um, and what I call the agriculture industrial complex. We have a military industrial complex. We also have an agricultural industrial complex, and those two are very much you know in in collusion. It's quite a fraternity. Uh, anybody that's familiar with the um, anybody's familiar with the. <coughs> the people at the head of the agencies, you know, you see these revolving doors, you know, where people in the industry go into the government and then they come back out into the industry and then they go back in and, and, you know, there's this, this uh, known as revolving door. And so uh, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a mentality within the culture uh, that a, if, if we had food and farm from places like ours, a, we couldn't produce enough and half the world would starve. That's the first idea
0: well, why don't why don't and we start idea, with that? Why don't we start with that one and say, is that false? And and what's the evidence to back it up that uh, we could farm the way you're farming and do it to feed the the planet?
1: You know, it, it it certainly is false. It certainly is false. And and uh, you know, e- every day we're seeing the non chemical approach. I'm just going to use non chemical. There's there's a whole lot of <laughs> I mean, if you if you just look at gardening, for example, there's you know, there's back to Eden, there's John Jevons uh, biointensive, there's you know, uh JM Fortier, you know, in Quebec, there's Elliot Coleman, there's Singing Frogs Farm in Petaluma. I mean, everybody has their little, so I'll just call it non-chemical, just to 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 make it simple. You can use whatever word you want, but the 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 productive capacity per square yard now in a non-chemical approach absolutely uh, uh overtops it, it overruns what can be done with a chemical approach especially because most of us doing this are into diversity we so so that we don't just use monocrops or monospecies we're growing you know we're growing uh, um, low plants under trees or or low plants under, under vines, under trees, you get this kind of permaculture stacking concept of, of, of multiple things on, I mean, at our farm, we grow, we grow chickens and, uh, uh, meat chickens, egg chickens, turkeys, and cows all in the same field, uh, in a, in a, in a ballet almost, uh, you know, and, and this, this, This is nature's template. You know, nature had bison, elk, deer, passenger pigeons, prairie chickens, turkeys and pheasants, all, you know, all going across the landscape. Uh, And and so it's that it's that uh, symbiotic uh, synergy with multispeciation that's relationally complex uh, that creates this, you know, this incredible, incredible abundance.
0: And what about what about the productivity per acre and, and uh what kind of productivity per acre, say, is a farm like yours getting versus a chemical farm?
1: Yeah, well, right right now, you know, we're averaging on, on pasture, for example, we're averaging uh over four times the county average. So uh so the the abundance the, the, the productivity is, is through the roof. Uh the, the fact the fact is that the um, the the infrastructure necessary to metabolize what Sir Albert Howard brought to the world in 1943 with with uh, scientific aerobic composting of course you know the world was kind of um, distracted in 1943 with something else going on and 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 post World War II we had these huge stockpiles of uh, ammonium nitrate and potassium and phosphorus that were all used in making bombs. And so uh so when Sir Albert Howard said let's build a carbon economy and run our farms on on carbon and compost, we didn't yet have chippers, we didn't have front end loaders, we didn't have water lines and 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 the 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 the, the, the infrastructure to be able to compete with a little bag of 10-10-10 leftover uh leftover bombs from world war ii and so i'm, I'm kind of gentle on you know on our great grandparents and you know if, if you'd lost a couple sons in the in the war and and you're in the farm and you've spent your life shoveling 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 the temptation to not have to shovel anymore for fertility would be very very strong but by the 1950s late 50s early 60s we started having pto shafts uh um uh you know, a plastic a water pipe so we could deliver water uh, cheaply and easily. We started having front-end loaders and then, you know, little four-wheel drive tractors came in, chainsaws. We didn't even have chainsaws in World War II. Chainsaws didn't really come in until 1957. So, uh, so so, from a carbon economy standpoint, we didn't have the infrastructure. Meanwhile, the chemical approach started to, to dominate the land-grant universities. It, it dominated the, 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 the paradigm. And so here we are now uh, with, with, with the, the non-chemical approach and the infrastructure support mechanism around the non-chemical approach has finally caught up and surpassed the chemical approach. But the chemical approach dominates the policies, the protocols, and the educational centers of our culture. Indeed, Wall Street and the investment uh, uh, portions of our culture – so that here we are on the periphery. We've already run ahead of them in the actual production and land regeneration race.
0: Well, but, uh, you're but, listening but, but to the
1: society uh, is lagging behind.
0: You're you're listening to KBC 790. This is Matt Matter and Unite and Heal America. And our guest uh, Joel Salatin uh, is telling us a lot about regenerative agriculture. We'll be right back in a break to talk with Joel and Greg about uh, how this technology can change the future. You're listening to Unite and Heal America on KBC 790. uh, This is Matt Mattern, your host, and uh, we're just talking with Joel Salatin regarding regenerative agriculture and uh, Greg Wendt. And uh, Joel, you were kind of in the middle of uh, your answer when I when we went to break and I wanted to give you an opportunity to finish your answer before we move on. Sure, we,
1: we were talking about abundance can can we feed the world? And so the, we were talking about infrastructure, how the lag of, of infrastructure on a new idea like compost. And so I'd just like to explain to people that if we had had a Manhattan project for compost, not only would we have fed the world, we would have done it without three-legged salamanders, infertile frogs, and a dead zone the size of Rhode Island in the Gulf of Mexico.
0: And just to let people know what we're talking about and why that occurred is because of the uh, pesticides and the chemical farming that has been done over the last, uh, in particular, fifty to seventy-five years. And it kind of trying to pivot to where the path forward is what. Uh, what progress do you see on the local state level, national level, international level as to uh, fostering these ideas and really having a breakthrough to uh, supporting our farmers to, to farm in this way on a, on a massive scale. And is it, is it feasible and what's kind of the time horizon for that? Cause we're, we're certainly destroying the soil at a, at a rapid pace. And if we don't kind of, Turn the ship around quickly, there are pretty devastating consequences, correct?
1: Well, yes, there sure are. And one of our problems is that as a as a culture, we don't have a way to capture the cost of resource of resource equity deprivation. Uh, Wendell Berry writes about this in uh, in in his material talking about what's wrong with us creates more gross domestic product than what's right with us. If I go out here and pollute the river, the cost of the cleanup is is a positive GDP because you got to hire people, bring in equipment, spend petroleum to get there, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so, uh, you know, if we have to, if we have to build a jail, you know, that's positive GDP. If we have to have a new juvenile delinquency center, that's positive GDP. And so we don't have a, we don't have a way to capture the negative, the, the liabilities of our national Uh, Resource balance sheet. I mean, I I think that's that that kind of is a is a way to look at it. But where's the progress being made? And um, uh, you know, I I, I've thought a lot about this here lately. And um, as as a direct market farmer, you know, where we're producing and we're directly selling to customers, um, it it may be that COVID is uh, is the biggest thing, the biggest catalyst for this possible. And let me explain this. You've seen what's happened to the price of food. Um, in fact, in the last uh, twelve months, most beef has gone up like like forty percent. Uh, there are shortages at the supermarket. Um, we know about the supply chain issues. Um, sawmills can't you know uh, uh, can't operate, and, and 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 so as a business person, I'm looking at this uh, as a small business person. I'm looking at this, realizing uh, that a lot of this this um, scarcity uh, issue. Is caused because um, COVID, new litigious, you know, uh, litigious environment, and, and that is creating inefficiencies at scale. You know, we've been heard, we, you know, economies of scale. You got to get big. You got to get bigger. Get out. You know, we, we've heard that and heard that in especially in agriculture for a long, long time. Well, what happens when you have we start having something like COVID? Uh, is that the 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 internal uh, uh precautions you know with quarantines and people out and people sick blah 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 they they inordinately affect very very large organizations very large complex organizations so those of us who have very small less complex organizations you know i don't wake up in the morning wonder wondering who's on my team that's going to turn me into OSHA for not quarantining properly or sue me because I didn't give them proper, you know, uh, mass protection. Uh, I, I don't live in that world. So we have this little speedboat, you know, there's a, there's a business book that says it's not the big that eats the small it's the, it's the fast that eat the slow. And what's ha- what we're, what I'm seeing now for the first time in my life is almost a, a capping, a capping of big, that it has become cumbersome and laborious in this new uh, work environment, and those of us that are operating a little speedboat instead of an aircraft carrier can navigate the disturbances along the shoals. And uh, and and so at our farm now, where we've always been priced higher than the supermarket, we're actually priced lower than our same products that that are regular, you know, stuff at Costco. That's never happened before. Why? Because we, we are running on solar energy, a carbon economy. We're not buying potassium. We're not buying phosphorus. We're not buying ammonium nitrate. And so we have a lot of uh, resilience built in that, that, that is overcoming the fragility of the big chemically dependent, global dependent uh, food systems. It's a very exciting well, that- time.
0: Well, that's great to see. Uh, Do we see our governments helping uh, farmers like yourself out and encouraging this kind of behavior to, uh, you know, have our land kind of go back to being farmed in a natural way so that uh, we don't destroy and deplete the soil?
1: Uh, i i don't i don't see much positive coming out of the government and, and that's not a partisan partisan statement I, um, I didn't see it coming out of the previous administration either uh, i just think the the especially at the federal level uh, it's been so co-opted by Tyson and Cargill and, and JBS South America. And, you know, the, the big, uh, the big power. Pa- I mean, it's, isn't it interesting that in 1906 when Upton Sinclair wrote the jungle and, and, and uh, Teddy Roosevelt swore to break up the monopolies of the, you know, the, the big seven that, that controlled uh, 50% of the U S meat market. So, so in 1906, seven companies controlled 50% of the U S meat market. And that was considered monopolistic today. three, <laughs> three control you know uh, uh, whatever 70% and that's considered free market you know it, it's a, it, we, we live in a we live in a crazy time
0: <laughs> that is you know certainly our antitrust laws have gotten so weak that uh, you know Google controls 85 percent of the search and uh, nobody's nobody's seeking to kind of break that up but uh, that's a topic for another conversation. But uh, I guess uh, pivoting to the finance issues and uh, Greg, uh, you know, uh, what are the things that you're seeing in terms of uh, how we're financing farms and and, uh, agriculture that might shift the world? I I know at COP26, uh, the finance people were starting to weigh in and saying, hey, we're just not going to finance the polluting industries. Are we seeing that, Greg, in the farming uh, area?
2: We're seeing a little bit of that, but I think there always is room for more, especially in the direction that Joel and you are talking about. I mean, one of the things that you said, Joel, that really hit home for me was, the, you know, the reference of the industrial complex and look at the way industry is designed, especially in the last fifty to seventy-five years. It's and the way that the markets and the way that the stock market currently, with publicly traded companies, having to answer to quarterly reports and quarterly profits. And that that short-termism, prioritizing monetary gain over qualitative growth and qualitative value is missing the value that, that Joel's talking about and the opportunity that Joel's talking about with resilience. So this is a paradigm shift that Joel's talking about that is fundamental if you look at <clears throat> this is neither a partisan statement either this that, that the very incentives between government government regulators corporate interest what we, you know we we have a a, a a a a capital market short-term incentive structure that incorporates um, very little bit profit-oriented short-term activity to then drive the way that the entire system works to overlook and see See very little of the value that Joel's creating because it's not able to be captured by this global money uh, money casino. So the question now, looking deeper, is what do we do to restore real prosperity to communities, real value to current generations and future generations? How do we actually change the paradigm to recognize that which we've been blind to? Those are the questions that we haven't yet really addressed effectively on a global level. And the discussion around COP was finally getting the financial people in the last 10 years to the table to look at the environmental question and the question of climate change, mainly because of the, not so much the opportunity that addressing climate change, but addressing the loss and the risk that might happen or is happening due to climate disasters. So that that is what is shifting the banking sector and the insurance sector and the Wall Street sector to see how this disruption that climate change is causing uh, can shift our paradigm. But I don't think we're going deep enough to actually look at the real causes and the paradigm problems, and also the opportunities that can be brought about by the in adopting the kind of thinking that Joel is is you know espousing because it's it, it looks at real value and real tangible. Uh, sustainable growth and and, and actual prosperity. So I think that's really what we can touch on in in the next conversation.
0: Well, I think that that is is true, that uh, essentially Wall Street doesn't value, say, the long-term loss of uh, a farmer's soil. Uh, They're looking at the short-term crop that is in the ground and did it get to market this season? And they don't really care about, well, is that that crop going to destroy the soil for the next go round or in 10 or 20 years? Is that farm going to be uh, sustainable and profitable and even usable? Uh, And that's that's the problem with the uh, short term thinking. So we really need to to shift that dynamic. And uh, hopefully we'll see changes on the finance front because they're they're essentially bankrupting the people that uh, they're lending to in the long term. So you're listening to KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern, your host of Unite and Heal America, talking to Joel Slatten and uh, Greg Went. Uh, we'll be back in just one minute. You're listening to Unite and Heal America on KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern, your host, and back with Joel Slatten and Greg Went uh, talking about regenerative agriculture and and finance and how those two intersect uh, greg you've written a bit about uh, this tell us a little bit about uh your background and and what brought you to uh kind of green finance thank
2: you so much uh i grew up here in southern california surfing you know hiking whatever and uh got into college biochemistry math computer science economics sustainable development in 88 was the idea of sustainable development was they generated in a, in a term in this report that the united nations came up with where the idea of sustainable development and in 1989 i participated in the conference uh where i was uh, a participant in this to um create a, a report called a citizen's response to sustainable development and this went to the earth summit this report that i helped create and it helped me see the possibility where um most of our institutions are born out of the idea that nature is out there somewhere and society is over there for the social, you know, social, sociology and anthropology departments, but economy is over here in the business school. But if you look at reality, uh, earth systems or life support systems include society and society includes the economy. So they're nested systems. So the idea that my economic activity affects the biosphere and the biosphere informs my economic activity is a paradigm shift in our economy. And then how do we then make that work today? Well, we have finance, we have what we call responsible investing, which is my discipline, where we help investors look at the effects that their investments make and the benefits that their investments can come and bring about, and then look at managing portfolios in the traditional fashion, but looking through the lens of which investments are going to benefit the future generations. That's the essence of what responsible investment management is about. But you have to look at the larger sphere, look at economic development, what, what the the Commerce Department or the Economic Development Office or the Chamber of Commerce in your town will will look at is how do we look at creating a system for all the businesses that want to better the world to work better together? Well, those two disciplines of economic development and finance don't work well together, especially for places where like farms like Joel's can be really brought about and can be enhanced through better economic and finance activity. So to look at the kinds of things on not only on a farm level or a, a pasture level, but a bioregional level. Around every every farm around Washington, DC, or New York City, or Atlanta, or New York or, or, or LA, all of those could be looked at as, as a system and then looking at the economic system as a whole and then financing the, the benefits of that system for better future generations and current prosperity. One of the greatest things I learned from Joe. I've known you for years, but I didn't know how prosperous and abundant your farm is and how profitable that is compared to conventional farming. If we can actually translate every small farm in our regions where we're buying from farmer markets to produce four times as many, many goods and, 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 and foods, that would actually help transform the economy and enable the soil and health of the people because there's less chemicals in our bodies and less chemicals in the soil. So that's an example that that 4X is something that investors would want to be part of if we can find good investments. And that's the kind of work that we've been doing for years. And I'll finish my comments with uh, a movement that started about 12 years ago with our, our friend Woody Tash's book called Slow Money. And the, the tagline says it all: investing as if food, farms, and fertility mattered in a, you know, soil fertility. So adding those dimensions of the kinds of things that Joel's talking about and farming quality and soil health. Those things actually provide for long-term value that investors want, but then we have to measure and represent and communicate that and actually articulate which farming practices are going to enhance that long-term economic value and then investing that. In other words, you cannot invest in it unless you can see it, and you can't see it Unless you can imagine it, so if you can imagine it and see it, measure it, then you can invest in it, and that's the kind of movement that has to be brought about from the from the White House and the Congress all the way down to the local office that 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 Joel may be interacting with with respect to government agencies or government support. But these dimensions that I'm touching on, obviously, each one of those topics could be a whole segment in itself. So I think you get the point. And if there's anything I can elucidate on, I'm sure Joel will. Sure. To one
0: one follow-up question I had for you, uh, Greg, is is uh, what are you seeing in terms of flows of capital into sustainable development, and uh, what can our listeners do to kind of uh, find uh, ways to invest in sustainable development?
2: Well, if you go to the where most investors and most people who have savings in the retirement plan at the office in the 401k or their IRA accounts or whatever they might have in their savings, there are a handful of choices available that that represent these values. And you today the term is called ESG, Environment, Social, and Governance to look at the Beyond just the profitability uh, in a monetary sense, you're looking at the way that uh, an investment affects the environment around the investment and in the company or the bond, or and the way that the governance of the, the the enterprise. Are we including all the voices? Are we including women and minorities and and people of color and indigenous voices and perspectives to help the enterprise improve? And does this enterprise actually affect the society around it? And if we look at those dimensions, that's not part of the traditional economic equation, but there are many investments that incorporate these values. And that's called, originally when I got into this field in 1991, we called that SRI, socially responsible investing but it's evolved to what is called ESG. But many of the investments are limited to major corporations on the stock market. And just by investing in a company, because it's, it, it, the analysts look that the environmental track record or the social track record doesn't necessarily change and encourage behavior. We have to change the way that these, these valuable activities are measured And that is more in the private market and private investments and making loans to farms like joel's or making investments in startups that are innovating uh, climate change adaptation or soil health technologies or all kinds of things like that and in the last 15 years we've been seeing that that movement grow of private investments that are somewhere between philanthropy and venture capital where we're directing capital to enterprises that are creating the the world-changing solutions, but also very profitable in their returns. And that quality is actually being turned more toward regenerative agriculture to look at the technology systems like Joel's indicating, these innovations in in, 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 in less harmful or or beneficial soil or um, water saving or uh, diversity of crops or uh, soil regeneration or better farming practices for animals, all those things in the regenerative agriculture category are a growing segment of investment. And also plant-based is is, is somewhat uh, a growing investment as well to reduce the impact of uh, factory farming, the kind of farming that Joel is doing is actually benefiting the plants and animals. So there's a marriage between plant and also animal agriculture that really should be an underpinning of our future. And there's many different vehicles now beginning to form. There's not enough. In other words, there's not enough regenerative agriculture farm investments for us to put the pension of California in that direction. That's the challenge that we faced is the pension of California is almost a trillion dollars, and we need to turn that money toward these kinds of practices, but that's where we need to change the piping of finance to be able to enable a farm that needs maybe a hundred thousand dollars to get money from the the investors in their region. So those, those are some of the dimensions of policy reform, economic analysis, economic uh, tools for evaluating the value of farms like Joel's and investing them with instruments like real estate investment trusts or private equity investments or private loans and enabling local investors to be able to participate in those investments are some of the work that we've been doing for years.
0: Well, that's uh, that's great work. And I appreciate uh, what you're doing there, Greg, because it's, uh, it's so important to get money in the hands of people who are doing the good work and uh, Joel kind of pivoting back to you in terms of how do you see this? Uh, whereas the people who are listening to the program or many of them live in an urban area, how can they participate in supporting regenerative agriculture and, and being a part of the solution here?
1: Yeah. So um, that's a, such a great question because it does seem overwhelming. And, and I, I get that. So I kind of have a a very quickly, a a three minute, three minute, a a three, uh, three bullet points. Uh, One is to realize that you vote three times a day. So, you know, uh, I I encourage people when you when you look at the plate of food before you look through the plate and look at the farm behind that food. Is, Is that farm one? is that the kind of farm that is that is making the world a better place for your children and your grandchildren? So, so just kind of squint your eyes, look through the potatoes, look through the, you know, the, whatever it is, green beans and, and, and try to visualize the farm and the farmer, you know, behind that and say, is that what I want to support? So that's one. The next one is grow something yourself. I mean, it could be something as simple as a, you know, as a, as a, a, a worm, a worm, Bed under your sink to take your kitchen scraps. It could be, you know, uh, a, a patio-mounted uh, PVC pipe with pockets to grow fresh herbs. But just appreciate the, the the mystery and majesty of life viscerally in your life, and just and just the, the the marvel of it. And then the third one is to just to build a relationship with a farm. For many people, that relationship might only be a website. You know, and 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 studying websites is a skill that you can develop yourself. But, but ideally, you know, uh, take some of that entertainment, recreation money, go visit a farm and, uh, and let your kids uh, uh, touch their food and they'll build memories. And we now know that that actually helps them to digest better when they have a memory of their food when they sit down to eat it.
0: Well, those are great ideas, Joel. And uh, so we're going to be right back with everybody in just one minute. You're listening to, to Unite and Heal America and KBC 790 and uh, talking about regenerative agriculture and we'll be back in just one minute you're listening to unite and heal america on kbc 790 this is matt matter and your host and uh we've got joel slatin and greg went talking about regenerative agriculture and uh, the finance sector that supports it or doesn't support it and how we can maybe shift that going forward. And uh, Joel, we were just talking about before the break, things that people can do that would help locally. And I know that there are restaurants here in my area that uh, source from local farmers and get all their produce from local farmers. So I think it's important to support restaurants that that are doing that kind of thing. And as you were saying, uh, farmers markets and, uh, the like. Uh, and I know there are certain, um, grocery stores that support local farmers and, and, uh, we should be talking to our grocers probably about, uh, bringing in local produce and produce that's organic and produce that's, uh, made, made and, and farmed in a sustainable way. Uh, what other types of things can you, uh, talk about that, uh, you know, the citizens, uh, can get involved in and help, uh, support this, uh, revolution in a good way.
1: Yeah, Matt, I mean, you've given us, a, you've given us a nice, uh, whatever <laughs> list of options there, you know, there's farmers markets and community supported agriculture, which is kind of a, a subscription, uh, kind of service where you, you actually invest in a farm and then you share, uh, uh, in, in the, in the, produce of it for the season Um, there's
0: uh, there's tell uh, us a little bit more about that because I think that's fascinating and I think uh, a lot of us might be interested in that uh, that idea
1: sure well the whole the whole idea of subscriptions is a is, is a big deal I mean you know in in internet marketing now what everybody's trying to get subscribers to to subscribe to their podcast to subscribe to uh, whatever a, a curriculum, right? You know, uh, uh, video curriculums. I mean, uh, and so subscription is a big deal because it creates repetitive uh, cash flow. You know, you, you you get this automatic, you know, check once a month, whatever. So, community supported agriculture is a is is a subset of the broader subscription base. There are numerous kind of outfits now. For example, we're collaborating with a with a uh, an unorthodox. Uh, kind of an alternative uh, doctor, a physician who, who is trying to introduce his constituency base. You know, he does a podcast. All right. And, and he's trying to introduce his people to good food. So he's got, he, he's working with a, with an herb, an herbalist to, to offer an herb line. He just started offering our, um, our uh, meats and, and poultry to his people. And so these are folks who, who are buying um, pre, you know, assorted, uh, assortments of things, you know, maybe somebody doesn't want any pork, all they want is chicken. So you make, you know, some, some subscription type boxes, um, and, and, and people can purchase those, um, uh, you know, on a, on a regular basis, uh, you know, the, the day of subscriptions, uh, listen, I knew that this happened when my daughter-in-law so, you know, I'm an old geezer now. And, and I found out that my daughter-in-law and son for their family, they're on an automatic dial for toilet paper from that, every month, a certain amount of toilet paper ends up on their doorstep. You know and I'm saying? What? You, know, you don't get toilet paper from the grocery store? No, no, you just, you just click and it shows up, you know, and they don't even order it anymore. You know, it just comes. And so, so that kind of of, of, uh, of marketing continuity is like the Holy grail now, right. Of, of marketing. And so with, with the internet, with, uh, with, with shipping capacity, distribution capacity, uh, software now that, that actually integrates real easily local farms and, or or regenerative farms, uh, you know, that, that has become really possible in a lot of permutations to actually just, just, subscribe to your food, you know, and, and, um, and you don't have to go shopping and, and think about it and it, it, it arrives and it's there. And so there's, a, there's a lot of efficiency, actually efficiency of action in just subscribing to a, to a service that, you know, you need all the time. Are you going to eat next week? Probably. Okay. So you just subscribe to the service are, are you going to you know, are you going to get your oil changed, you know, uh, next month? Well, yeah, so you just subscribe to the service. And so there's a, there's a lot of, of fluidity, innovation and opportunity in this ragged edge of what I call um, non-bricks and mortar retail interface. This, again, this contactless contactless retail has opened up a, 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 an amazing opportunity for those of us who don't live near a city that we live very rural, you know uh, how do we access the city without, without spending an arm and a leg on, on fuel to get there? Well, you know, the FedEx trucks coming anyway, the UPS trucks coming anyway, well, he's coming out and he can come loaded and go loaded. He comes out at the end of his run and we load his truck up with stuff that goes to, you know, Atlanta. And, 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 and now you, you're loaded both, you know, both ways. I mean, these are efficiencies, that, that in this in this ragged edge of the, the lunatic fringe of innovation is um, is really developing is developing rap is developing so rapidly that those of us that are direct marketing from our regenerative farms into this space. Uh, the, the innovation is coming almost faster than we can metabolize, you know, and keep up with the, you know, with the um, with the options. It's it's a very exciting time.
0: So there there seems like there's a lot of growth. So maybe that will uh, draw other farmers into uh, doing regenerative agriculture because they'll see the profits in in uh, doing this type of work and that they can charge consumers a a bit of a premium because they're getting better food. I would imagine.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, you you hit the nail on the head there. Ultimately, uh, all of us can can you know express our angst about you know the way things are but ultimately the way things are is the way things is, is the way people want them to be and if people want something different you just have to start changing so maybe in august instead when when the when the tomato season is almost done instead of going on the caribbean cruise you stay home and you buy end of season tomatoes from from, from the farmers that are getting ready to throw them all away because everybody's tired of tomatoes. Well, you know, you get all those tomatoes and spend the weekend at home making uh, ketchup and tomato sauce and salsa and you can it. And now you have uh, food storage for next year and, and you've just, you've just quit feeding the complex. You know, you've just withdrawn that, that money and you have created a new financial economic stream Uh, It it didn't take a 401k. It didn't take, you were able to, to reroute, to reroute. And when you, when you realize the average family is spending, you know, whatever, for four or $5,000 a year on food and you start rerouting even 10% of that, um, the, the consequences are major. The, the, the margins, the margins in the food industry are so tiny that if we, if we just, uh, say we are. If our side, if, if what we're describing here, if it just took ten percent, it would completely revolutionize the entire food system. It doesn't take much because the the margins are so tiny.
0: Well, I know and, that uh, we're seeing here in LA that uh, grocery stores that are catering to people who want organic food, uh, non-GMO food, are expanding at a very rapid pace because. Consumers are out there are willing to pay uh, premium prices for, for good food. And uh, I think that hopefully that's drawing more manufacturers in and more suppliers into the chains because there's, there's got to be more demand for it and, and more restaurants are, are serving up that type of food. And I would imagine sending the signals out into the marketplace, go organic, uh, because there's, there's profit to be made.
2: It's going on everywhere. And I think one of the things that, Joel, you were talking about, LA, there is, there's a, quite a few CSAs, uh, community-supported agriculture subscription groups you can join. And there's a website that I know about called Local Harvest that has a list of all of them. It's a localharvest.org. And also there's a film about Joel, and there's also a number of films about regenerative agriculture that you can find uh on the web and you know in the streaming services
0: well tell us about the films that uh, joel is a part of because I, I i'd love to see it and i'm sure the listeners would like to to check it out as well
1: well aren't, joel you're in kiss the ground aren't you in that movie as well
0: uh you know i'm not sure i'm in
1: that one but of course my the big one was uh, was food inc uh,
2: food Inc.
1: Yeah, that, yeah. that was, you know, that was the big one. And, um, you know, it was up for, a, for a, some sort of a, award um, mm-hmm. as documentary. And uh, we're, we're the good guy. We're the good guy in Food Inc. But um, about the same time, a documentary came out titled Fresh. Uh, we've been in Armageddon, American Meat. American farmer. I mean, I don't know. We've been in, I don't know what, a dozen, twelve.
2: Polyfaces. Was there a film called Polyfaces about Polyfaces. you?
1: Polyfaces. There was an entire documentary done on us called Polyfaces. That was done by a crew out of Australia,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um, and so
0: tell us a little bit about that one uh, as we wrap up. Uh,
1: well, you know, these um, this this couple wanted to. They wanted to to get this message out to the world, and so they. They came, they spent actually uh, over a period of time of three years, they came three times and filmed for a week at a time, three different years uh, um, to get the documentary made. And it, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, pretty comprehensive, it has wonderful video work in it. But um, yeah, you, you, you can immerse yourself in this and learn and get the skill of vetting and, and discerning the best food and the best farmers in the world and patronize
0: them. Well, that's a that's a great message for all of us to hear and uh it's been wonderful having uh you both on the program joel slatin and greg went uh doing great work out in the community helping uh, regenerative agriculture and financing uh this type of work which is absolutely essential to our survival as a species so kudos to both of you you're listening to unite and heal america on kbc 790 this is matt matter and your host and uh, look forward to having i'll be back in next week
2: As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844 mlg for u That's 844 mlg for u or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968.